Stomberg. And I'm Lisa DeSimone. And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on tax tips and tricks related to working from home. Since the COVID pandemic took hold in March of 2020, many individuals have started working from home. According to the Pew Research Center, 71% of employed adults who can do their job from home chose to do their job from home at least most of the time. Working from home offers flexibility, but can also raise some unexpected tax questions for employees and employers alike. In this episode, we discuss how working from home can affect income taxes. Hello, B. So here we both are working not from home. We are WFH, but not working from home. We are working from hotel. Work, ooh, working from hotel. Working yes. from Hyatt. Yes. More than two years after <laughs> COVID hit the U.S. That's true. After two years of COVID, we both left home and moved in with each other <laughs> in the Hyatt in a completely different city. We've been here ever since. So two years later, living with me in the Hyatt, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts on the state of work from home? Well, like, uh, like most things in life, um, things are great in moderation. Mm-hmm. So there are days I'm very grateful that I can WFH. And then there are days when I have absolutely no reason to be in the office other than an overwhelming desire to get the hell out of my house. You're going to get the H out of your H. Get the H out of my H. Well, tax time is creeping up. It is going to be upon us soon. And we're going to talk about today. Work from home has some tax implications that maybe not everybody is aware of. And this is especially true given some changes that happened in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and given some, uh, shall we say, unprecedented steps that companies are taking to help employees be productive while working from home and, you know, to, to pat them on the back and make them feel valued. We all want to feel valued. So let's start with that. Let's start with things that employers are doing to help with productivity. One of the most popular examples was Apple, which mentioned in December of 2021 that they were delaying plans to bring workers back into the office and giving $1,000 to employees to help them set up a home workspace. Now, I know enough about taxes to know that if someone just hands me a thousand bucks, Maybe some strings attached to that. There may be. So, Lisa, walk us through the tax implications of payments like this. Sure. And the first thing that you know I'm going to say is it depends. Why? Why are you so difficult? First of all, I'm not difficult. I'm challenging. You are. Okay. And second, it's not me. It's taxes. Do not besmirch taxes. (laughs) They're not, they're also not difficult. I'm not saying they're difficult. I'm saying they're complex and intriguing, just like you. Okay, get on with it. All right, talking about Apple's arrangement specifically, that $1,000 would very likely be taxable income to the employee and deductible for Apple. And that's because Apple is saying employees can use the money, quote, as they see fit. So there's no requirement that the equipment purchased would be used solely for work. And technically, there's actually no requirement that it be used for equipment at all. If I wanted to spend that $1,000 on, say, joggers and houseplants, I could do that. I'm free to do with that $1,000 what I want. 
Some news outlets actually characterize the $1,000 as a work from home, quote, bonus. And I think that's probably the best characterization. And it keeps things a little bit simple because bonuses are straight up taxable income to employees. They generate tax deductions for employers, even if they have some fancy descriptor around them about helping you with your home workspace. Exactly. The takeaway here is that when spending, employees want to consider their after-tax cash flow of this bonus. The median Apple worker made about $68,000 in 2021. And in case anyone's interested, Tim Cook made about 1,400 times that much. Is that all? That's it. Okay. So if we assume income of that average employee of $68,000, that work-from-home bonus will be subject to employment tax of around 7.5%, federal income tax of 22%, and maybe state income tax of let's say 8%. So all of a sudden that $1,000 of bonus is only $625 of cash flow after taxes. And that matters because that's not even enough for the small iPad Pro. All right, so I've heard rumors, speculation, rumblings. Gossip. That Apple is a pretty savvy company from a tax perspective. I've heard that once or twice. So my next question to you is, couldn't they have structured this payment differently so their their employees would not have been taxed on it and they could have had that whole thousand dollars to spend on houseplants? What a great idea. I like it. Yes, they absolutely could have. They could have done one of two things. First, they could have reimbursed employees for any purchases of equipment. Again, assuming the equipment was used exclusively for business purposes. It also could have purchased equipment itself and then loaned it to employees. And both of these strategies would have shielded employees from taxable income, given them the benefit of the equipment to use, but without giving up a deduction for Apple. But one key feature of those scenarios that you just described is that it would have taken away a lot of the employee's choice about how to improve their home workspace. I could not have spent that thousand dollars on houseplants. No, you probably couldn't uh, spend it on houseplants, but we're talking about work from home. So let's talk about home offices. What about employee tax deductions for home workspaces? What about them? Um, People would like them. Yeah, I'd like a lot of things. Uh, But there isn't one. There's none? There used to be one, right? People talk all the time about home office deductions. What happened? Well, employees used to be eligible to claim tax deductions for home offices, past tense. They could also deduct business expenses that their employers did not reimburse. However, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 eliminated both of those deductions, at least for the time being. Now, the home office deduction is available, but only to people who are self-employed. Anyone who gets a W-2 from an employer is not eligible for the deduction, even if they work from home all the time. If you are self-employed, you can deduct either $5 per square foot of your home office up to a maximum deduction of $1,500, or you can deduct your actual expenses if you keep track of them. Either way, you have to use your home workspace exclusively for business. She means it too. I mean business. It can't be a desk in your bedroom. It can't be the kitchen table. And this is going to rule out a lot of colleagues whose work from home setups I've seen out on Zoom. Mm -hmm. You must also be able to demonstrate to the IRS, if you're audited, that you need an office to do your work. So there's a lot of hurdles that you have to jump through to claim that deduction, even if you are self-employed. High hurdles, I'd say. Another thing some employers have done to help boost productivity is to offer dependent care assistance or private tutors for employees who have family members, including children, who they need to care for and educate. And I totally understand the need for such things after overhearing my child's teacher 
on Zoom last year tell her that I was teaching her how to do long division the wrong way. What is the wrong way to do long division? As far as I'm concerned, there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's, but apparently there is a wrong way to divide. I don't know. Whatever. Sounds like fuzzy math to me. <laughs> Let's assume your employer paid for a private tutor or teacher while schools were shut down. Any amounts you received would probably be taxable. The tax law does allow employers to offer non-taxable education benefits to employees, but not to their children or other dependents. Okay, depressing. What about dependent care? Oh, you're in luck. Employees can generally exclude up to $5,000 of dependent care received every year, and the American Rescue Plan expanded that amount to $10,500 for 2021. Thanks, Congress, for small favors. They can pass bills. It's a miracle! Now we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the tax treatment of some increasingly common perks. Yeah, as work from home seems like it's going to exist more commonly in some form or fashion, employers are finding that they have to change the types of perks that they offer their employees. Yep, old-fashioned staples like free dry clean or parking, donuts and bagels on Fridays, even in-office gyms aren't super useful if your employees aren't, you know, coming into the office. Or if they aren't wearing clothes that require dry cleaning, like joggers. Okay. Companies are now shifting their focus to offer more perks that can be used at home. For example, in lieu of the office gym, some companies like Wayfair and Samsung are taking part in Peloton's corporate wellness program, which allows employers to offer workers subsidies for digital fitness memberships, bikes, and treads. And good Lord, they need the business. (laughs) I love you, Peloton. Don't listen to her. Um, Taxable? You know it. Although you can exclude the value of using an on-premises gym operated by your employer, a gym membership and the like are taxable to you as the employee. Okay, fine. Whatever. Um, 45% of companies also began offering mental health resources during the pandemic because you know it totally sucks and is making all this dead inside. Yeah, I just got an email, like university-wide email, I think, that was explaining how we all feel about COVID these days. You know, in the beginning, it was like, we're going to make this work and we're going to learn new things about how to educate remotely. And now we're all just looking for a weed in the sidewalk. Agreed. Uh, Thankfully, amounts received from employers for mental health resources are generally not taxable, hooray, even if they are virtual. Amen. Health benefits provided to employees, their spouses, their dependents, and their children under the age of 27 are generally considered a non-taxable fringe benefit, and mental health is health. Absolutely. Employers have also adopted lifestyle spending accounts which is another type of employee perk that allows employers to pay for health and wellness expenses that aren't covered under a group health plan. Employees can spend funds from their employers on things like yoga, nutrition counseling, or athletic wear. Like joggers. I'm, I'm sensing a newfound love of joggers that you may have experienced during work from home. Yes, like joggers. Other employers are going a step further and offering their workers ways to spend money on things other than health and wellness. There's actually a company called Fringe, 
Fringe. Clever. Fringe benefits. Yes. And they partner with employers to offer, quote, personalized lifestyle benefits for their employees. Employees earn points that they can then spend with vendors like Disney, Stitch Fix, Uber, and Spotify. The name of the game here is employee choice. And that brings our discussion full circle, because as we learned up top, when there's more choice, there's typically more tax. These lifestyle spending accounts and point-based reward programs are all considered taxable fringe benefits. Okay, so what if instead of giving me points to spend on joggers, my employer just gives me a pair of joggers directly? First of all, you're dreaming, lady. <laughs> Second, it's taxable. So let's, let's boil it down, try to keep it simple. Basically, anything you get from your employer is going to be considered taxable income unless there is a specific code section in our tax code that says that it's not taxable. When it comes to perks or fringe benefits, that list of excludable items is not super long. No, it's a pretty short list. And in general, it's pretty specific. Yep. The one place where there is a little bit of wiggle room relates to something called de minimis fringe benefits. These are items that have so little value that it would be impractical for your employer to track them, account for them, and try to include them in your taxable income. That kind of sounds like my job description. <laughs> You're a de minimis fringe. To the I'm a de minimis fringe. <sighs> so if you get a bottle of hand sanitizer or a branded face mask from your employer during the pandemic, chances are those one-of-a-kind collector items yep. were not taxable. This exception is helpful, but potentially thorny, because whether something is de minimis is based off of our favorite phrase, facts and circumstances. There is some thought that any non-cash item worth less than $50 might qualify as non-taxable, but any non-cash item over $100 would not qualify, nor would any gifts of cash or gift cards. Those definitely are taxable. So you totally just lied to me. Say, say more words. All right. First, you told me that joggers would be taxable. Then you just told me that there's some gray area between something worth $50 and $100. I can totally get a pair of Wari joggers for only like 84 bucks. So there's a chance. A, a pair of Wari what? Never mind. Moving on. We focused on the tax consequences to the employee because those are a little more nuanced. With respect to employers, things are a lot more straightforward. So in general, the cost of all fringe benefits is deductible, regardless of whether that benefit is taxable or not to the employee. good, bad, and ugly of working from home, and I can actually see some good here. Let me guess, wearing joggers. <laughs> well played. <laughs> yes. But also, like joggers, flexibility and ease. Ah, well done. That Pew Research Center study found that most people feel it is at least somewhat easy to meet deadlines, get their work done without interruptions, and feel motivated to do their work all while working from home. Kudos to these people, but clearly they don't have kids or Netflix subscriptions or non-working spouses. True, but that's fine. I agree from a non-tax perspective. Work from home is usually pretty great, except for, you know, the, the kids and, and spouses and whatnot. One big problem is that not everybody can do it. Yeah. And the people who can are those who tend to have higher incomes, better education, and better health. 
that's not great. So thinking about taxes specifically, though, what is the bad that you see here? I'd have to say it's the, the complexity. As we've just shown, there is not one nice, neat set of rules for how things are taxed when employees work from home. And so the best case scenario is that workers could be blindsided by tax, yeah. right? Go back to that 1000 bonus that we talked about from the beginning that only leaves you with a little over $600 to spend. So the worst case scenario is you do something wrong on your taxes and wind up having to deal with an audit and paying more tax. Well, maybe the worst case scenario is that you have a question about how to treat something for tax purposes and there's no one at the IRS to answer your question. Oh, truth. Yeah, there are plenty of stories about that these days, but that that I think is a topic of an entire new episode. If I may try to add a bit of hope to this conversation. Who are you and what have you done with my work wife? Ignoring that comment. One good thing for those who are employed is that a lot of the burden of determining what is taxable or not falls to your employer. There are some pretty substantial financial penalties if an employer files a W-2 with the IRS that's wrong. So most companies are really tuned in to what is taxable and what is not. And the good news is for employees, you can, you can trust that number on your W-2. That is a glimmer of hope for employees, but uh, self-employed employees are screwed. They are. Sorry. Sorry to all the self-employed people out there. And now we'll just charge on ahead to the ugly. I'd have to say it feels like the tax code doesn't, let's say, evolve as quickly as the business world. <laughs> and uh, possibly the understatement of this show so far. Okay. All right. I'll take that. And and that's frustrating, but not only is it frustrating, it can create some pretty odd discrepancies. I agree with all of that. Uh, it does not evolve quickly enough. It 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 can't be when no. we're all locked in our current bipartisan standoff over everything. No. It's also probably true that some of the rules we have now are the result of lobbying from some pretty narrow special interest groups. But either way, things should probably be a little more fluid. So as an example, I really struggle to see why an on-site gym at your employer is so different from reimbursing, reimbursing your employee for a gym membership. One's taxable, one is not. What gives? Yeah, that's a great example. And um, I like the example you gave for a couple reasons. First, they're two very close things. It doesn't right. seem like it should matter where you're working out. And that's another good one because that's something that is actually good for your employee's health, mm -hmm. which if we got people to do things that were better for their health might actually reduce healthcare costs broadly and save the government money. I know I'm talking crazy here. And allow us to allow more tax benefits or reduce rates. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'm Lisa DeSimone. And I'm Bridget Stomper. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Mass.